So I wanted to welcome everyone to a kind of a special version of Leadership of Fools, a one-on-one version. Uh, one of the things we became, we, we sort of discovered in season one was that uh, we had the chance to speak about a lot of leadership conversations and there's some amazing stories uh, a lot of our experienced executives have to tell. And today I'm joined by Graham Plant. Graham. How are you? I'm really well. I'm really well. You and I have a bit of history. Like yep. We used to do quite a lot of work together, um, but that was like, am I right in saying that's five, six years ago? It'd be longer. That'd be more like eight, nine years ago? Yeah. I'd yeah. say. Yeah. Now, at that time, you were kind of in, in a big corporate role, a big corporate job. Yep. Um, and I, uh, there's a lot of, in, over this next however long, I, we're going to share a lot more about the work we did and the work you've done. But I want to go straight to a kind of a key event yep. in your life. And it, uh, maybe paint the picture for us. The year is 2015. Mm-hmm. The month is what? April. April. And tell us where you are and what you're doing. Um, I'm standing at the starting line of um, Marathon de Saab in the Sahara Desert, listening to ACDC rock out Highway to Hell, Right. about to run across on a self-sufficient race for six days. Um, so you told me, uh, in fact, I did know about that at the time. I didn't follow you closely at the time, but since catching up regularly, um, more recently, we've debriefed it a bit. Mm-hmm. And I just said, man, we have to get this on a podcast. We have to talk about this properly. Um, so uh, tell me more about that moment, how you were feeling uh, just as you're embarking on the starting line. It was, it was, one, it was a quite surreal moment, actually, because I'm, I'm standing at the starting line. And it had been two years in the making to get to that point, from signing up um, the charity that I was running to actually raise funds for Alzheimer's. And... Um, it's kind of surreal. It, it, it didn't feel real until I was finally there. And then it started, Highway to Hell kicked in. Right. I've got the, get, the pack all lined up. I'm there with a whole stack of other guys. And it's funny. And do you have any sense what they were playing? Like they were, was, was music uh, a big part? Uh, at the start, they had the kickoff, yeah. Right. But it's funny because I'm sitting there thinking, none of these people know Bon Scott. And I've got Japanese and Germans and all sorts of people from around the world all trying to sing Highway to Hell. Yes. And uh, at that time, I sort of stopped and took a deep breath and looked and thought, I'm, I'm finally here. So yes. it was like all that hard work got me to that point. Yes. It's like any endurance event though. A lot of people say, is the event tough? So it's, it's not, as tough, not as tough as preparing for it. So right. getting to the start line is a big achievement actually. Finishing it becomes almost not the easy part, but it's kind of the, the icing on the cake. Okay. So we, we in a moment we're going to go back in time, mm-hmm. almost probably that two years or maybe even a, even a fraction back from there to mm-hmm. kind of work out how what led to this moment. Yep. Um, but let's stay with painting this picture. This is a six-day endurance event mm-hmm. in the middle of the Sahara Desert. Yep. Yeah, just outside a little place called Wazazat. Right. And um, it's totally self-sufficient. So you have to carry your food, your food for the whole journey. Yes. Um, your cooking utensils, your clothing, your bedding, pretty much everything you need has to fit inside your backpack. So you don't have a, necessarily a, an intact crew with you? No. Right. No. There's a, um, some Berbers. Right. And they all set up a tent at the end of the day. I, I use the tent term tent very loosely, like it's a black sheet held up by sticks on a um, on a rug, right, with no walls, right. And, um, and so, where does food and stuff come from? Like, you have to carry it, right, and cook it yourself. So, literally self-sufficient. Yeah. So, freeze-dried fruit, and you have to all your food has to be measured out. So, you have to have a certain amount of calories to take every day, and you can be audited on that. Right. And um, yeah, so the only thing they supply is with your water which right. you pick up and you have a rations card, which I've got here actually, but the rations card gets stamped and you pick up your water and they also give you salt tablets so to sustain you. Right. And it's regarded as, uh, if not the toughest, uh, definitely one of the toughest uh, running events in the world. Yeah, and Patrick Bauer, who set it up, that's how, um, that's how he markets it. And it's certainly, uh, it, is a gr- it can be a gruelling event, or it is. And, well, it is, um, yes. It is a gruelling event. And uh, there's others now starting to come up like that. But you still get, you know, there's like 1,350 or so runners right. the year I did it. A lot of them from uh, France and the UK. Um, and then there was probably about 25 to 30 Aussies and Kiwis. Okay, okay. Yeah. So let's keep going. Yep. We, how many uh, kilometres a day? Um, I think the first day was around 36. Yes. So, and all up, 
It sort of went on different days. So all up, it was over 250 right. over that journey. Right. And our biggest day, which was day three or four, I think, was 91.7 Ks. So, oh, my God. Oh. So that was a I long am, one. I'm shaking my head. We all call that the long day, which it really was. The long um, day. Yeah. <laughs> to state the obvious. Yeah. And yeah. you had a, a long each, – each day has its cutoff periods. So um, the cutoff period you have to hit. So if the, the Berbers coming through with the camels catch you, then you're out. So okay, you have to okay. meet the cutoff times, right? And you have to get to these checkpoints at certain periods to pick up your water. And then when you get to the camp at the end of the day, you pick up your Moroccan tea, your rations of water, and go back to your tent and start cooking. Go to and, bed. And how many people would say be lost to the event in terms of um, you know not make the cutoff? Uh, I think every day there was dropouts. Uh, right. Day one, they I think they dropped something like six to ten, and then the next day. By day three or four, it was up to 60 or 70 people. Yes. Um, so it's, there is a fair amount. And there, it's injuries and sickness um, because it's you think the Sahara and you think desert, so you think it'll just be like sand dunes. Um, we had some what they call jebels, really high mountains, which right. were um, treacherous climbs. There was one story about a guy in a previous year who got to the, the bottom of the mountain, looked up and said, I'm out. Right. Um, he just said, that's not for me. That's yeah. too confronting. Yeah, I remember climbing one particularly tough one yeah. and there was a French lady um, climbing with me and we got to the top and she just broke down in tears. Yes. And yeah. one of the, the race event people were there and they said, what's, what's wrong? And she said, I'm just so glad that's over. Right. It was like that sheer exhaustion of getting to that point. Yes. But that was – then you had to keep on going. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, and uh, yes, I was. I mean, in my head I picture the Sahara Desert. I'm yeah. picturing the, the sand dunes. So you were – you are definitely running in that, which yep, absolutely again for me, someone like me who's uh, be lucky to get through five k's. Like even running through a bit on a beach is hard. So yep. So that just adds a layer of challenge. Yeah, the, the dunes were hard, and the sand was tough, and it gets in. It's really fine, so it gets into everything. So blisters are a big problem. Right. But then the sections of it where it's just rocks, so you're going through sections where it's really rocky, so it looks like the moon landscape. <laughs> and so you'll be running through that and then there'll be steep hills and then you'll have long, hard flats like um, what you'd imagine salt flats to be like. And it was um, it's quite bizarre. You do these climbs and then you get to a point and you'd stop and look and you're sitting up high this mountain and you can see for you know hundreds of miles. As far as I can see, you can see rolling hills and sand dunes. And, and does that help like in terms of the psychology, like just be able to see a sense of where you're going? Oh, and, yeah, absolutely. Right. It's sort of a pinch me moment where... And I actually remember running with a few guys and, and saying, you just have to stop and think where we are. Yeah. yeah. Um, I remember when one of, the, one of my mates, and we're talking about it, and he was kind of not playing down that it was a big deal. And I said, well, just work out how many people have actually done this race over 30 years, and it's about, about 1,000. So that's 30,000 people or so. Yes. Some of them are mutual runners. So 30,000 out of a population of, what's your, the world population? Uh, 5 billion, 6 yeah. billion. Yeah. We're in a very small percentage of Absolutely. the entire population. Yes. So when you go... Well, this is significant. Yes. But you, you do get lose sight of that because the what you're focused on is the job in, in front of you. Yeah. So, so you, if you like tend to lose... Literally one step at a time. Yeah. yeah I remember talking to one of the guys, Matt, he was... Um, when we were talking about that big hill, I said, did you look up it and see how high it was? He said, no. I just kept looking at the step in front of me and yeah. kept going because he knew if he looked up, he sort of felt, he said, that would be, you know, that would be tough. Yeah. So it was easy just to know, get one foot in front and you get there. Run, did you run in the dark? Yeah, on the long day. Um, the, the long day was a 36-hour cut-off, so it had a long time. So some people slept, oh, right. slept out in the desert overnight. Right. Um, 36 decided, hours is the cut-off? Yeah, to get through that because it is a tough day and it was really windy. So it's not, it's not really a day, it's a yeah. day and a half. Well, I came in um, at about 21 hours, so I, I didn't stop. I stopped at the checkpoints and nutrition and hydration. But most people decided it was better to get through because then you had the rest of that 36-hour period to recover before the next day, which was a marathon. Yes. So the whole idea for me was get there and then I've got as much Have time as much to recover. Have recovery time. Um, which other people thought, no, I'm going to camp out in the desert. So they'd stop at one of the checkpoints. Yes. Uh, hop under a tent, pull up the sleeping bag and have a kip for a few hours and, and then take off and do the rest. So is there any moment in these six days that you thought you might not make it? I had a few. I got, I got sick on... Um, the day before the long day, I've got right. sort of diarrhea and it's hard to keep hygiene there because you can't wash or anything. And yeah, yeah. So there's all that sort of stuff. <laughs> and the latrines were substandard to say the best. I won't go into that. But um, yeah, at that point, I, I ended up being in the, 
um, the triage, if you like, getting salt and water and trying to get rehydrated. Yes. And the feet were getting pretty much chopped up with blisters and, and that type of thing. So, yeah, a few times there you thought, geez, am I going to get through this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and self-doubt creeps in, especially when you're, you're totally fatigued. Yes. And you're sore. Yes. Um, but then you find the next day you get up and you get rolling and it hurts for a while. And once the body gets in motion, you, and you've got a lot of camaraderie in there too yeah. with, your, with the other runners. Can you t- tell me more about that? Because at some level, again, the desert invokes a sense of isolation. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you're doing this with a number of other runners. Yeah. What's the relationship with those other runners? Yeah, lots of lots of good conversations with with people, and there was even people from other countries. Yes, um, but you're all in it together, so you've all got experiences to share. Yeah, and I thought it was interesting when I looked at our tent. Like we had in in the Berber tent, we have eight, and you was basically sleeping shoulder to shoulder because you're okay. all lined up like that. Okay, yeah. So yeah, you get pretty cosy. Yes. Um, but at, through that period, not a lot of us actually spent a lot of time talking about what we did outside the event. Right. Because all we were really focused on was how you're tracking, where you're at, what's on tomorrow, sharing ideas, tips and that type of thing. And so the conversation remained about the task at hand. Primarily, yeah. It all got down to what are you doing, how are you doing this, um, how heavy is your pack, how heavy is my pack, how are your feet. So you, you didn't spend a lot of time and it's only afterwards that you started to have a conversation when the event was over. You find out all these interesting backstories about people. At some level that kind of makes sense to me because I almost wonder if you are engaged in what you do for a living your family you kind of start to lose sight yeah you'd actually be confronted by the um the impossibility of what you're just doing yeah and whether it's really worth it and it's so foreign right it was funny i found that the rest of the world just drifted away to being on the and my focus was there so we had one little bit of access to the outside world where we could send emails yes one email to an address and that would get the message out to everybody else. Right. 500 words on substandard equipment. Um, and we were getting emails from the outside world that were sent to a central hub. Yes. And they would come through us and drip fed at night time. Yeah. So now, you're kind of disconnected. About um, about 20 minutes ago, you showed me uh, the what, what's it called the pamphlet or oh, the booklet? Oh, that's our, our roadbook. Yeah, if our you like it. That's the, it, when we get on the bus yeah. and they're taking us out there, they say, here's where you're going. So when you sign up, you don't actually know what the route looks like. Yeah, right. Right. And we didn't even know how long the long day was. We just knew there was one. Right. And then we get the book and we start reading through it. So you're ploughing through it and then you so start... So it's kind of happening in the moment. Like you get, you, you're doing that planning yep. on right arrival. There. Pretty much. You're reading, everyone's frantically reading it on, yep. the, on the bus. One of the things I was struck by, I noticed it, and one of the pages you open up, you actually have... Uh, you have the words from emails from yeah. friends, colleagues, family, and yep. very supportive words. Yeah. Uh, what role did that play? Uh, it was quite incredible. First of all, you, you get a sense that everyone's with you yeah. and they're watching. Yeah. Um, so you know you can't screw up then. But the <laughs> yeah, other side right. of it is okay. but those motivating messages, um, I think everyone would say they're quite emotional because you sort of get back and you're spent and you're tired and your, your feet hurt and... You're thinking, God, I've got another day to get through. Then you start reading these messages of encouragement and support. And it just really inspires you. And sometimes they're coming from people you don't expect. Yeah. And uh, I got one message from the guy who wore my number the year before. Are you serious? Yeah. And so I did it for the guy yeah. the following year after me. And you write it to the, their number. What a, what a wonderful tradition. And I just got that. And it was basically, he knew when I was going to get it. And he said, you're coming up the long day. It's going to be tough, but you've got it. This is what you need to do. Keep wow. focused. So you've, you've kind of, it's nice to know that this person I don't even know has taken time out to send that little message. So when it's happening message. each year since, because we're talking 2015, so another yeah. three years have gone by. Yep. Like, do you. Do no, you, I'll leave it to the next one. It's almost like you, you pay it on. Yeah, you the pay it on once. Yeah. But would you still picture the people doing. Yeah. Like, it I watched, comes flooding back? Oh, yeah. I watched the, the race was on, um, it was on one of the sports channels on Foxtel the other day. I saw it, so I sat down and watched it and just all came back. Yeah, well. And I was sitting there looking at it and I could recognise the landscape. Yes. I knew where they were. Yes. And um, listening to the stories and how they were talking about it, yeah, it was quite, you back there instantly. So the shared experience, um, when you say people talking about the stories and you can relate to them, what's the kind of shared experience? And, and, yeah. and it may even be hard to put into words, but you know, how, how would you co-runners put that into words? Yeah, it's funny. It's, it's even when, even outside this event, any endurance event that I've run in, you end up talking to people for a long time. And I did one in 
um, Port Douglas where I ran with the guy for the best part of seven or eight hours. And so you, you talk about a lot of stuff. Yes. <laughs> but yeah. on this one, I think I was, it was really focused. I ran with Rodney for a while and he was doing a fundraising for, um, it was for autism. Yeah. And so we got talking about what was driving him to do that and then I was sharing my story and we sort of shared that part together and we looked after each other along the way. So we ran together probably four or five hours right. on the long day. Right. And it, it's hard too because sometimes you, you have to keep going, you have to run your own race. Yeah. So yeah. if someone says, I, I can't keep going at this pace, Yes. you have to make the call, do I hold back and go with them or do I go on my own? And it's this balancing act of... Are you sure you're okay? Do you mind if I leave? And right, but it's and that's sort of negotiated. Like you do negotiate. That yeah, typically. you kind of feel like you want to make sure you're helping your mates out. Yeah, and you don't want to leave people yes. in a bad way. And there's a real camaraderie. There is an element too that you're not allowed to share food and you're not allowed to do things like that. You're right, but you have to look after everyone's well-being. Yeah, it makes sense. It yeah, makes sense. but it was. Um, I remember sitting in the the triage waiting to get in to see the what they call the doctors, doc trotters, because they're fixing up your feet. Yes. And I was sitting with a Japanese girl who was in a whole lot of world of pain. Yes. And she said, I'm not sure I can make it. And then she just tells me she's done an Ironman. She's got another one planned. I said, I think you'll be fine. Right. But, yeah, so we, I'm talking to her about Australia and then she tells me about what she's doing and the contingencies there. Yeah, yeah, So it's a completely yeah. bizarre conversation. I'm in the middle of the Sahara Desert talking to a 24-year-old Japanese girl. Um, <laughs> do you think you could do this... Uh, I mean, you need you need the uh, officials and you need probably medical people, but could you do this kind of as a solo event? And what I mean by that is, does it need that camaraderie of other runners? Um, I think it helps. It certainly helps right. on the dark moments. But on the long day, I spent um, probably best part of 10 hours pretty on much alone. Own. Yeah, yeah. Um, yep. And that was probably the, the hardest yeah. Part and that was primarily there's a whole host of things that happened made it harder. But um, my phone had battery had gone flat, my Garmin had gone flat, so I had no so sense. My, my what, watch, oh, my Garmin watch. watch. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I had no sense of right. time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I had no sense of distance. Yes. So all I knew that was I had to get to the next checkpoint. I knew roughly how far it was. Yes. But I had, I'd be running for an hour. I had no idea if I'd gone five k's, ten k's, three k's. And where does your mind go? Uh, yes, in dark moments and I think everybody does through that those lower moments when you're really fatigued um, but then it's just a matter of it becomes a little bit sort of mantric you just keep focusing your mind wanders a lot especially you get tired and you you can hallucinate a little bit and start to get a, a bit I got a bit wobbly as I was getting into sort of 18 odd hours or so yeah um, <laughs> and again understandably so <laughs> yeah but but I think you're you're so focused on the end right that you become really sort of singly focused yeah. of what you have to do yeah. um, and if you can tap into people who are with you that's fine but sometimes there'll be no one yeah. and so you just have to um, you can't afford to rely on that you have to tap into your your own resolve yes. and move in and, and when you do these things there could be 20 k's between checkpoints yes. so if you fall apart halfway there's no one there anyway yeah. you have a you can press the transponder and they'll come and get you but right. you're, you're out yeah um, yep. so, so pressing that's that like a last resort the last thing you're going to do yeah, the last yep. resort yeah yeah. Um, sorry. In a moment. Sorry. Sorry about that. Um, we'll cut that part out. Yeah. In a moment, I do want to revisit the catalyst for this, the, mm -hmm. the drive, yep. the the journey, whether it goes two, three years, four years back. Mm -hmm. uh, but please tell us about the crossing the finish line moment. Yeah, it was. Um, that that was that was a point where all the pain disappeared. Um, is that the sensation? That's the first sensation. Yeah, as soon as I could see the finish line, you become quite emotional. So um, at that point, I was sort of talking to myself, but that was a, a bit of fist pumping to myself that I'd made it. Yeah. And then it was that as a combination of um, relief and exaltation at the same time that you'd cross the line. Yes. And that was probably the key part. So it's, it's hard to describe. It's the best thing about getting to the finish line is is always the most. Um, rewarding experience yes yeah and what plays out for the next i don't know 12 24 hours 48 hours it's a lot of reflection right. i think um and also to revisiting what you've been through okay um and all, a lot of the as you start to explain it to you know explain to my wife and she's asking well what was it like and what did you do so you're revisiting it all over again yes and then you just sit down and you have that first cold beer and a feed and you're talking to your mates, you start sharing all those experiences again. Yes. So you live it 
quite a few times. Yes. Um, but yeah, it was like this massive load has been lifted. Yeah. Yeah. There's three people in the studio at the moment, myself and you and our producer, Paul, and you said something crazy. I thought it was crazy, at least, that you said you're contemplating um, doing it again, or at least it's somewhere in the back of your head. Yeah, I think I think I would. And I think it'd be nice to do it again, knowing what was ahead. Okay. Um, and being able to probably take in some more of that experience. Yes. Because sometimes in that period where you're just focused on the event, you, you become really focused and you forget to taking everything else yes so i think it'd be good to do it again and sort of going it without that fear of can i do this yes knowing, well i can do this now it gets down to well how well can i do it yes. and make sure that you could probably um get more from the experience and what do you think you would a second time around try to notice more what what, what would you um, be looking out for probably the landscape and probably also to maybe tap into some more of the people who are there yeah, as well right. from other countries yeah yeah and understand their stories yes yeah and there was one guy when i was in the triage and he's come in and he's getting an ecg and i said mate are you okay yeah and he's an english guy and he said oh, i've got a i've got a pacemaker right so i have to get it checked every time yep. and i said oh that's fair enough and he said what, what are you doing he said i'm actually a guide for a blind runner so are this guy's running with a pacemaker and he's guiding someone who's blind across this race something in He's got it much tougher than me. Yeah. <laughs> so at that point, you think, well, you know. That puts context. Yeah, immediately. You. Yeah. yeah. And you mentioned someone else who's 65 who yeah. typically finishes in the top 20. Yeah, it's amazing. You see some of these people. And um, Ralph Fiennes did it um, the same year, actually. You know, the, 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 the actor? The Explorer. Remember oh, that? right, The Explorer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he did it. And yeah. um, I saw him and he, he wrote a book about it. Yeah, but, okay. Uh, he did that and he, he did it fairly tough. Yeah. But then again, man was in his... Oh, late sixties, early seventies. Yeah, yeah. So fair enough. There's, a, there's I mean, there's wonderful. Um, I, I think the the story of running is it's it, it's a very powerful story about human endurance and human mm-hmm. uh, challenge. Um, and people, some people are able to put it beautifully into words and yeah, tell that narrative. Like, do you, is that something you feel like you are able to do? Like, you've explained it really well to me, but yeah. Is it an artistic expression for you as well? Yeah, it is. I find it's, um, it's my way of training and running is also my element of meditation. It's sort of my outlet. Yes. So if I need to solve a problem, yes. I'll go for a run. Right. If, I, if things don't feel like they're going great, I'll go out and go for a run yeah. and just get away from it. And I think there's one quote I read, if, if, if you can't solve a problem in a four-hour run, it's not meant to be solved. Okay. So okay. I kind of take and that And there's philosophy. something magical about the four-hour run? Don't know. It's kind of, um, you know, benchmark for marathon. You know, the, the, mar- the elites do it at two, two and a bit. Yes. But my time's kind of three and a half to four. Yeah. But, um, yeah, and I find I've, I've written whole business plans while I've right. been running right. and um, processed issues and yes. just rolled through my thinking. Yes. And been able to solve a whole lot of problems and come up with ideas. Yes. Because I've got no distractions. Yes. And do you, uh, do you, are you curious about the science of that, or you just kind of just accept that that's the way it is for you? Yeah, I think it. Is, I hear a lot of people say that they, they can't run or whatever. And I think everyone can run. It's just a matter of you know if you've got an injury or things like that to prevent you. But generally, if we want to, we can. Yeah. Um, we're designed for it. Yeah. If that the whole book Born to Run sort of yeah. uh, outlines that that theory, but for me it's um. Yeah, it's a whole lot of reasons why I do it. And I was kind of, I never was a runner and I only sort of got into it because I had in this, my head, I have to run a marathon at least once. Okay. So where, where does this story start? So um, given we've kind of gone smack bang into the middle, this, yep. this key moment, yep. now I'm kind of curious, how far back do we need to go back to, uh, what's the origin story here? I think as uh, it probably tell me, for running itself, I set myself a target that I was going to try to run a marathon by the time I was 40. Okay. That didn't happen, so I reset it, so I'll do it by the time I'm 45. Yep. yep. And how old are you now? 52. 52. And Great. so I did that about... And you did the the event in when you were 49? Uh, yeah. Or... Yep. Yeah. Yep. Okay. And I'd... Um, yeah, so I decided I was going to run a marathon and decided I was going to do it for a reason. Yes. And I did, I did a little fundraiser for Alzheimer's. Yes. And I did my first marathon, and I remember when I finished it... Um, we were going on a family holiday and I did the run, then hopped on a plane and went, went to Paris and met the family there. Yep. But um, I said to my wife on the phone, I said, if I ever say I'm going to do anything so stupid again, no one should slap me. Right. So that was the first marathon. So right. things went out of control after yeah. then. Okay, so at, the, uh, at that point, it was possible that could have been it. Yep. 
Absolutely. Right. Yeah. At that point, I was thinking because my, my feet were swollen, my knees were swollen, I was sore. Yes. And that just came down to preparation and my condition. I hadn't done it before. Yes. But it wasn't long after that I thought, well, the time I ran, I wasn't happy with, so I wanted to do another one. Yeah. Get a faster time. So then I did yep. another marathon and then right. another. Right. I thought, well, I can run a marathon. Maybe I could do an ultra marathon. Yeah, yeah. And then I saw how far do I push this out? It's only my first ultra, and then it sort of went on. I thought, well, can I do a 100K run? Yeah. And then, well, what about a multi-stage? And at the point I was going through this exit period, I'd, um, I'd started to get focused on my health and well-being. Yes. yep. And um, my mum had been diagnosed with Alzheimer's. Yes. And I started to do a lot of research into what drives that, what's, what causes it, what are the preventative actions that we can take. And right. health, fitness were key elements. So, so your mum's illness was a, a real trigger for this as well? Yeah, it was kind of a wake-up call. Right. Look at my own lifestyle and right. how I was tracking and... Um, I was probably 20 kilos heavier than I am today. Yes. And my lifestyle, I was living the executive lifestyle where I was on a plane every other week. Yep. Um, eating out a lot. Yes. And probably enjoying too much of the good life. Yep. And as a consequence, my health wasn't great. Yep. So um, that was getting that message through mum's illness sort of yep. motivated me to, to focus on my own training yes. and health and well-being. Yep. And that sort of led it through. And then when she passed away, um, that was a... That was a tough moment, but for me, I thought, well, how do I... I can't do anything about that. Yes. I can't do anything... Um, I can't solve the problem, but maybe I can raise awareness and I can raise funds for research. Yeah. So my whole focus was people shouldn't have to go through this. So yeah. that became the driver. And the Alzheimer's um, Australia were really supportive. Mm -hmm. So um, once they... I said, look, I'm, gonna, I'm thinking about doing this. And they said, well, we'll get behind you. And they backed me in. I set up a charity. I created a website, created a blog, and um, created the campaign, and then kicked it off and started hustling around for donations. Right. So there's there's a whole lot of layers to all of this, isn't there? There's, yeah. There's the nature nature in you, and and I'm thinking about when I met you. Um, I sense you were. I sense you are a goal driven person. Yeah. Yeah. That's been present for you. Yeah. Like, in your life. Absolutely. Um, and um, not only a goal-driven person, but the way you used to lead uh, was very much helping, enabling others to reach their full potential as well. Mm -hmm. Like that, you got a lot of satisfaction. Yeah, yeah that's one of my favourite elements, uh, I guess, is that coaching and development. Yeah, and if anything, you were probably working in large corporates that you know, probably at the surface level, said they cared about learning, but mm -hmm. but you were one who actually really not yeah. only cared about it, but you you know, you actually lived it. Yeah, absolutely. I still, I still try to now. A lot of the guys that worked for me back then, yes, and even jobs prior, yes, I still have relationships with as um, mentor, advisor, or, or coach, yes. or just a friend. Yes, that yes. they can tap into. So there's something you know, it's very strong in who you are and who mm -hmm. you've been as a as a leader. Then there's this uh, uh, confronting moment of seeing your mum uh, pass away from a debilitating illness. Yeah. Um, maybe just a little bit about that. What yeah. you experienced through that time? Yeah, it was, it was probably an element of um, helplessness. Right. Because you can... Watching Watching someone, someone that you care about and love yeah. who who's starting to... that they're, They change. Yeah. Okay. Um, yep. The things they used to love and do, they can't do anymore. Yes. Their memory's challenged. Yeah. And um, But there's these moments where they're quite lucid and their old self comes back in. Right. And right. you get these elements and... And does that make, even make it harder, like just seeing the, yeah, the person, it, 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 the real person's there, still there? Yeah. I had a, I had one moment that hurt the most, I think. I was sitting at the, the nursing home because eventually mum couldn't stay at home. Yep. And I was sitting down with her and we're having a chat. And I just said, I said, oh, you, you look a bit miserable. She said, well, it's a miserable life I've got, isn't it? And it was like this bang, like this moment of lucid and she knew exactly where she was and right. why she was there. Right. And she was miserable. Right. Right, and there's nothing I can do about it. Right. Um, well, it's, well, to to be honest, I, I picture an imagery of my own mum yeah. who yeah. Uh, passed away of bowel cancer. Yeah. And it was my moment like that was when she said, um, "Colin, I'm scared." Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, I can still, in fact, I get chills through my body when I say that yeah. to myself. It's that moment of seeing uh, someone who's always been looked at, looking out for you, suffering. Yeah. And there's nothing you can do. Nothing you can do. Yeah. So, um, and that that was probably that hurt the most. Yeah. That period, and then yeah. having to get in the car and drive back to Melbourne. Right. 
So, right, so she was in country Victoria. Yeah, in, yeah. in Benalla where I grew up. Right. And um, so, yeah, that, that was hard. Yes. And, um, and then when I sort and of then got you, to... And then you decided to do something about it. Yeah, and yeah. You couldn't control that, but you could yep. take some control over other things. Absolutely. And that's what I thought. How do I raise awareness, get people familiar with what's going on? Because it, I didn't feel it was getting the attention that it deserved. Yep. Um, and also, too, raising a little bit of money was also going to be helpful yes. um, for Alzheimer's Victoria. Yep. So that, that became the whole focus and that became the, the driver behind the campaign. Yep. And that sort of gave me this adventure with the cause concept that this is what I'm doing. And um, it also... So that's the, fra- sorry, that's the phrasing you use? Yeah, it was Ven- kind of for me. That was, that was the point. Adventure with the cause. Yeah. So I, and I tapped into Keith, who you, remember, yes. you probably remember. Yep. And Keith was happy to help out so he did the design for me we came up with the name the memory jogger and uh, can you emphasize that again because i i love it <laughs> yeah, the well, memory jogger yeah and that was a campaign so it was uh, the memory jogger so clever. and it tied in and keith did all the artwork um, my son developed the website and um yeah then it kicked off and i started to share my experiences what i was going through yeah and my plans for kicking off that campaign and i already had um I do, at that point i was running a uh, global audience measurement business yes. and so I was, had to tell the VCs and the board when I signed up I said I need to tell you that I'm doing this as well yes and, and their went, reaction that was are you insane first of all have we right. got insurance on him right. um, there's a few of those questions and I said yeah. no that'll be fine yeah. Um, but yeah they were quite they were supportive and uh, it was a, it was a great experience right yeah that whole exercise and I got to meet a lot of people at Alzheimer's and I've done a bit of work with them yeah. since and a few um, interviews and things like that just to try to reinforce the, the power of healthy living and how it can help prevent dementia. So there is a, um, a, there's an episode that features you and is uh, about uh, the, the science behind mm-hmm. Alzheimer's, which is on the Catalyst program. Yeah. And we can definitely put a, at least a YouTube link yeah. to that. Yeah. Um, what, what, um, particularly for those people listening, um, what's, what do we now know about that disease and the role you can play in controlling it in terms of um, yeah. I think diet, it, health? Diet and health are probably key. Yes. And I think the other part is, um, the one thing is that, that there is no cure. So yes. that's that's the first to accept. So the best thing you can do if there's no cure is how do I prevent? Yes. Um, and there's elements of things from both on the psychology side. I think of doing things, doing new things all the time. Right. Is actually good for like what I call mental gymnastics. Yes. So, and fortunately being the, the type of role I do now, I get to actually look at different problems, different things. Yep. Trying to be really engaged in, in doing a lot of reading. Yep. Um, on the health side though, it's really getting focused on your diet. Yes. Um, trying, and I've, since then I've probably dropped, I haven't had meat for three years. I have okay. fish. Yes. As my pro, sole protein. Yes. But primarily it's a vegetarian type diet. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you, you actually look fantastic. Yeah, like, so I'm, like I'm 20 kilos lighter than I was. Yeah. In yeah. fact, there's a there's an image on the Catalyst program, yeah. and I and I'm quite struck by it. Like you, you are a lot bigger than I can even recall. Like, yeah. Um, and yeah. to see you now, like it's uh, you know it's phenomenal. Like you've yeah, it's a big difference, and I, and I feel so much better for it. Yes. And I think it's as you, as I started to lose weight and I started to get healthier. Yeah. I felt better yep. and I was capable of doing more things yes those little niggles and pains that I used to get yes didn't happen anymore yeah so that became self-affirming in its own way yeah, yeah. but I was really sort of dropping out a lot of the the junk yeah, okay. out of the diet yep. that was the main thing and then getting that nice balance but a Mediterranean type diet where right. lots of greens um, lots of good oils yes avoiding the bad oils as much as possible yep and getting that balance right around um, alcohol intake. I look at everything and say it's balance. Yeah. So you don't want to live like a monk, but you need to get a nice balance that you've got a healthy lifestyle, but you're going to break the shackles every now and again. Yep. Just don't do it every all the time. Yep. Yeah. Um, uh, maybe this is a slightly unfair question, but when you were running, uh, particularly the, the Sahara piece, the, uh, memories of your mum or yeah. recollection, recollection of why you were doing it, like how much of a role did that actually play? I had a lot, I think, and it was it was when I got the messages on the email, that yeah. was the reinforcement that th- there were people watching and still following. Yeah. Because at the moment, you don't know. No, you don't. You're out of the building, you've got <laughs> no be, idea. No one's um, noticed. <laughs> no, so you could be just out there tearing it away and no one's got any idea. <laughs> but um, getting the messages kind of reaffirmed it. Right. Um, probably the most, com- the biggest moment was at the starting line. 
and that's when I sort of stopped and thought, what would mum think now? Yeah, wow. wow. And it was well, kind of, and what, I don't know, she would have thought, you were a lunatic. That's what she would have said. <laughs> yes, um, that's great. Yeah. She said, what the hell are you doing? And I think my father said the same time, don't people die in this race? I'm going, well, only two. So that's not a bad hit rate when you yeah. think about it. Yeah. yeah. For, for what you're actually, the, the, how you push, how far you're pushing the human body. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, love that no one's passed away doing it, but I, I, I've seen a couple of clips of it and your story around that just still blows me away, that what the human body is poss- um, capable of. That's one thing I did find, I think I found was... Um, you underestimate the, the power of your mind and your body yeah. and how far you can push it because yeah. um, we often set ourselves our own barriers. Yeah. But when you start to stretch it, you start to realise that those boundaries are a lot further away than you really think. Yeah. And I think that, that's true in most cases, but it's only by setting that goal. You said before, my goal-driven. If I hadn't set the goal, I wouldn't have done the training. Yeah, okay. If I hadn't signed up. So I kind of sign up for my next event pretty much as soon as I finish the last event. Right. Right, because then I don't have an option. Yeah, to get lazy or to um, you know get slack and not do the do the work. Yeah, keeps me focused. Yep. and I have a I have something that channels my energy towards it. And what's the next one? Um, I'm doing a marathon in uh, Croatia in um, September. Croatia, Croatia, a little place called Ston. It's a it's a walled city, so I'm doing a marathon around there, and then I've got another one to do in October. But I'm looking at the bigger one in Greenland next year as a potential, which is... So you uh, get to travel the world doing this. Well, that's what I think if you're going to do it, you might as well um, make sure you go somewhere decent. And uh, so now I've used Does, it... And, and that, that matters in this, like the, yeah. the, big, the life experience as well. Oh, yeah. And I think if... Um, I did one through Scotland where uh, I was running through the, the Western Highlands. Yes. So I saw parts, parts of Scotland that some Scottish people never get to see. Yeah, wow. wow. But, and you're out in the complete remote, miles away from anything. Yeah. And... Um, and the same as in the Sahara, I'm thinking, how many people actually get to do this? There's not many. Not many. So you have to sort of reflect and say, I'm pretty lucky yeah. to be given, have the opportunity to do it. Yeah. Um, and so that, that becomes a big part of it. So, yeah, I've done a few interesting ones, Great Wall of China and um, ones across in New Zealand and different places. And Graham Plant, you remain quite understated yeah. <laughs> when you say a few interesting places. Like they're just, you know, they're bucket list destinations yep. for people, let alone going to those places and actually pushing your own physical and mental limits. Yeah. Well, it's fun though, I think, is when you, you actually get out to those places, you, you see things from a different perspective when you're doing it on foot right. and running. And, and what, so what do you mean by that? Uh, in the, say the Great Wall of China, for example, you're running through little villages yeah, as well. Right. There's all these little kids come out and high-fiving as you run past. Yeah, fantastic. Um, and in, and um, in the Sahara, like, there's these really weird things. We're running along through the sands and we'll see these kids on bikes what the hell are you doing here? Yeah. So, but um, there's a little <laughs> village nearby. Yeah. Right. They're going on those little mini bikes or something and you're going through um, old um, ruins, Roman ruins. Yeah. And so these things... Things are, you wouldn't, no, wouldn't have expected. No, things you wouldn't expect to see. And so people would come out... Things and, you'll miss on a bus tour or on a... Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And miles away from everything. Yeah. And uh, I, th- I quite like that. As much as running by yourself can be challenging, the solitude's quite good as well yeah it's nice to be comfortable with your own thoughts yeah so take us to today so um well in a funny way again i remind myself of when i first met you and Mm -hmm. i've always rated you as just a um an outstanding leader uh, prepared to do a lot of things prepared to invest in their people Mm -hmm. prepared to focus on goals Mm -hmm. and you and i would all also recall moments where you're prepared to kind of call it and challenge individuals and yep. challenge your team so you didn't shy away from that stuff no you were prepared to have tough conversations with your peers and even your bosses mm-hmm. which didn't always serve you well no probably not um so i'm picturing the person i knew at the time which i, I um and that person i absolutely admired uh what's the person i see today and especially in terms of the leader you are today yeah i'm probably um i think through this whole exercise i've become a little i, I don't let things probably get to me yeah as much right um and i think you mentioned that before i think i threw you into a bad situation once where i told the whole team they weren't behaving appropriately as a leadership team and said that they if they didn't like it they could resign and it'll all be good yeah and if yes. you wanted to stay that was fine yep. okay and then when they said yes they said, oh, right, come on go and fix them up yeah um so <laughs> that was one scenario but for me it was um i don't look at any 
challenge or problem is is, is it's not solvable. Okay. So okay. there's an element of... Um, Definitely solvable within four hours on a run. Everything's... Yeah. I think it was <laughs> when you're looking at the, what I learned from the run is there was periods of times where there was... I didn't see an answer. Yes. But there was. Yeah. And just a matter of time and focus and training and you do find ways to do things. Yeah. Um, so I probably gathered a lot more self-belief. Right. Um, and comfort myself and levels of resilience. Yes. But also, too, problems at work didn't seem that big. Perspective. Yeah, because um, I see people like with my mother going through that process and what yep. people were working through, then the guy with the pacemaker leading someone who's blind through the desert. Yes. And people are getting stressed about a work problem. I'm going, it's not that big. Yeah, okay. It's not that big a deal. This, yeah. this is solvable. We have all the tools and resources available to solve this. So am I looking at the Zen version of you yeah, now? It might be a bit more relaxed. I don't tend to get as um, agitated. or st- I, don't, I don't get as stressed, most certainly, right. about situations. Whereas right. I think in that corporate environment where you work in a highly political space yeah. and there tends to be a lot of self-serving yes. in that space about getting that promotion. And um, ego and... Yeah. Those things. Yeah. And then you look at it and think they're not, those things really aren't important. Yes. And it's really focused as the outcome is the most important thing. And that becomes more my focus. How do I get to the outcome yeah. not worrying about the journey? Yeah. So I'm quite comfortable now setting a goal with no idea how I'm going to get there. Okay. You st- you're still ambitious though. Yeah, to a degree. But, well, t- tell me about that because I, I, I look at some of the, you know, where you continue to invest your time and mm-hmm. you're um, investing in, you know, still a lot of mentoring and yep. you've got, couple of startup ideas mm-hmm. and um so you're still very active oh, yeah. in the commercial corporate space or yep. the, the the space of business but when i said ambitious you hesitated a bit yeah i don't think i aspire to be the a, a ceo of a big corporation or anything yeah, okay. like that so i'm not looking and at, at one point you <clears throat> possibly did yeah i probably thought that was the trajectory i wanted to get to yes and then as time went by i thought i looked at Probably, maybe unfairly, I picked on a few CEOs that I've worked for or around. Yes. And thought, I don't want to be like them. Okay. And if that's what the gig looks like, then be it's careful not for what me. you ask for. Yeah, mm. I don't want that gig. Yeah. But then as time's gone by, and I'm working as an advisor and a consultant with boards and, and organisations, I've met some really fantastic CEOs and compelling people. I thought, I can see why they're good for this type of role. Okay. Um, and even now, what I did learn, I guess, probably from with mum passing away when she did. There's, um, we don't really have a lot of time. Yeah. yeah. So I thought, well, if I'm actually going to get involved in a startup, or yep. I actually want to make a difference, yes, um, you, I've got to make the time. Yes. So then you become a lot more judicious about, okay, what's really important? Where yes. shall I be focusing my energy? Yeah. Is this returning? Is this making me feel good about things? Yep. Is it delivering some value? Yep. And I think delivering value and benefit became more important than the income. Yes. So yes. therefore, and definitely the self-serving part, yeah, um, or the need to, you know, to feed your own ego around. Yeah, well, I've got another promotion, or I've got a bigger sal- salary package, or a bigger bonus. Yeah, I think yeah. It, I look back and I'll be judgmental on myself. Though I think you, you, there is a period when you're in that executive ranks and you're in you're part of the hustle and bustle of the yep. corporate grind. Yeah, the the brand of your car, the watch you wear, where you, the postcode you live in, all become these elements of status which you judge your success by. Yes. But they aren't yeah. relevant at all. It's yeah. really sitting back at the end of your career and saying, did I make a difference? Yeah. Is yeah. what really is important. Yeah. If you can look back and say, you know what, I'm proud of what I've done and I've yeah. made a difference, yeah. then you've had a successful career. But if you say, back, I've been a complete prick the whole entire my career and people hate me and I've made a lot of money, but I don't have a lot of people I can call on his friends. Yeah, I think you failed. Now I know already you've made a difference. Like in fact, even before the running and the uh, the um, the social movement that was behind that and the personal challenge, like I felt like you were a person who'd made a difference, a massive difference. In fact, the fact that you you know you and I can still picture. In fact, you you um, very intimately the, a group of people that were together working hard at a particular time, and you're still connected with them. Yeah. And they've gone on to do a variety of amazing things. So yeah. you've already made a difference. Um, does it feel um, unfinished? Like um, I'm sure at some level it does. There's more challenges. There's more difference yeah. to make. Um, I think to a degree, I think I've learnt more as I've evolved now. I guess I've seen myself. 
I still get involved heavily in a lot of st- strategies, what I really enjoy. Yep. I, I love that design element and yep. building strategies and solutions. Yes. Leadership's still something that really inspires me. Yes. So I have this, this litany of books that I sort of tap into as my leadership inspiration. Yes. Um, and even now, as I look back at the guys I'm working with, I've, I find myself enjoying coaching yes. more. Yes. And helping people achieve their goals, I find more rewarding. Yes. Um, concurrently, though, they inspire me to push on my other startup ideas. Okay. And the startups I work with is advisory because I look at their their inspiration and the way in which they're approaching things with such excitement. Yeah. Gives me the energy to go and actually push into the things that I should be doing. Yeah. That I've been, I'll get it to it one day. We've yeah. all got those things. We will say, one day I'll do it. And then 10 years' time later, they're still sitting there. Yeah, yeah. And for what it's worth, what I'm doing right now is one of those things for me. Mm. Like I um, – because uh, we, we, we were out of contact for a little while, but a big dream for me was um, – in fact, even when I first met you, a big dream for me was to become someone like Andrew Denton. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I could picture yeah, myself. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Uh, and it, that plays out with so much of my professional life in that I – would much rather conduct a sort of sit-down interview with an executive rather than do a keynote speaking event. Yep. Like that's that's still the definition of a definition of a nightmare for me. So yeah. this was an example of me that I just had to get out there and do it because another year could go by and another year could go by and then yep. a decade's gone by. Yeah. Um, so I see how important it is that that story of not only doing it but then setting up that next goal yeah almost before you've recovered from the first and be prepared to take the risk okay i think okay. it's a key part of it is um i think and you've done that and successfully yeah. so i think that that part of that process is if you haven't obviously if you haven't got a goal it's that whole um you know uh lewis carroll yeah cheshire cat yeah. when it asked the cheshire cat what tr- road should i take and he says where do you want to go and she says i don't know it doesn't matter then yeah. It's that same process. If you don't have a goal, the path you take becomes irrelevant. Yeah, that's right. But if at least you know the outcome you want to get to, you'll make better decisions along yes. that way. Yes. So all the work I do now with some of the people I'm working with, it's getting that vision of their future in a way in which they can describe it almost like a dream or that sort of vision where they can describe where they're at, what they're doing, how successful they are, what are they doing, right. what's their business look like, yes. how happy are they, what's their life like. Yes. And when they actually describe it, it becomes somewhat more real yes. and something to focus on. Yep. And then that simple question says, well, that's where you want to get to other things you're doing today are going to get you there. Yes. And similar for on the run, and I can tell you, the, all the guys that um, did MBS, yes. the investment they made in training, I know how much I put in, and some of these guys would have put in just the, put in some, the same as me and more. Yes. Um, it, it, it was a lifestyle. Yep. We didn't have a choice every weekend you were training yeah. plus three or four times a week yeah. and then you were we're all on eBay buying bucket loads of crap that we needed to actually yeah. do, the, do the race. What, what, what's it cost you? Has it cost you anything? Because, you know, the choices we make always, you know, there's upsides and downsides. Do you any sense that all of that time, all of that effort, all that uh, loneliness, um, all that pain? Um, mm. No, I think it, I, I've actually seen all of it as rewarding. Okay. I think... Um, and I think probably what I learned from the process now is, is there's always something to learn from everything okay. that I do. Yeah, yeah. And that I learned a lot about myself yeah. on, on that run, yeah. on that event. And I think that's helped me understand who I am and what drives me yes. far better than I did before. Yeah. I think I was driven by more artificial means before, but now it's more um, internal. Right. So I'm driven by what's important to me now than what's important to others. Yeah, so the technical, it's around the intrinsic motivation rather than the extrinsic rewards. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And uh, I think that was the key part. And that ability to get out on trail runs and mix with people from different worlds, different countries, different cultures, and they're sharing their experience. And you think, yeah. you know, here's this guy from a completely different country. And we're sitting out, we're running the same event, having conversations like we live next door to each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's kind of those real weird moments that yeah, you remember the most. Have I missed anything in this story? Like, is there anything? No, I think it's funny that with the race, I'd say anyone that wants to do it should do it. One of me was that one day I was thinking that it'd be good, I reckon executives that actually could pull together and want to do a leadership thing, they should bandy up and do that together. Yeah. That would be kind of a cool yeah, thing. Yeah, there's a startup idea for you. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's, I think it's one of those events where I looked at afterwards and when I first signed up, I thought this is a bridge too far. Like it's... Yes. 15 years ago I would have said there's no way in a million years I could do that Yes, and then I did it 
Yeah. So what I've sort of started to realise is that everything was doable yeah. if you're prepared to make the investment. Yeah. So everything now becomes down to I know what's achievable, but only if I'm prepared to make the investment. Yeah. So that's kind of the key learning I took from it. That I think my wife, when she was my sister, I think was concerned about my welfare, and she said he'll be fine. You haven't seen the amount of training he's done. Okay. Okay. So she, in her mind, she wasn't done concerned. the preparation. She said, done, done all the training, and so that's therefore... What, that's how you started this conversation with me. You said, at the starting line, I knew I'd done the work. Like, I, the the battle was more than half won. Yeah. yeah one of my mates, John, he's done an Ironman. He said, you know, that the hardest thing to get to is the starting line. Yeah, wow. The event itself will sort itself out. Yeah. But it's all the work you get to that start line is the hard work. Um, thank you. Thank you for doing this. Thank yep. you for this conversation. Um, when we caught up just close to my home and we had a coffee and it yep. was delightful to see you. Um, it had been too many years. Yeah, it's been way too long. Uh, and I remember you starting to tell me about this and I was going, oh my goodness, I could see my head start to explode with questions and yep. ideas. And then I thought, no, nah, I just want to do it in this format. So, yep. um, And if anything, I'm feeling quite humbled by what you're telling me Like, and 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 karma, yeah. Like you are you are karma. Like you actually have this karma yeah. considered, not just outlook, but the way you present and the way. And I feel calm being with you as we're just talking this through. Yeah, as I just say, I feel like I'm a lot more comfortable with myself. Yeah, yeah. And I think when you do something like that, you don't feel like you have anything to prove. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So that's that's an important part. I think when you're in that corporate grind, sometimes you're always trying to prove yourself to somebody yeah. and really the most important person is prove yourself but look after everyone else along the way yeah that's that's great i yeah. love it is there anything you'd love people to check out no um, I, I said i can give you the link to the 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 blog that i wrote about that was my sort of wrap up for the whole fundraising um which i think we would definitely will and i think yeah. it's, i think it's anyone who's thinking not just doing this event but anything yeah. Way outside of your comfort zone. Yeah, I think it, it it's so informative. It's a good point, actually. I think the thing that I've took out most of all is I'm now more comfortable being uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it took me a while to get to that point, but now yeah. it's being uncomfortable is not as frightening as maybe as it once was. But no, no, I think that's been really. I've enjoyed the chat, and um, as I said, I'm taking all those learnings now into my business coaching and working with people and sort of passing on thirty years of that working in corporate but now I've sort of pared back and you're I'm a bit more comfortable and relaxed than probably what I was when you were <laughs> I brought you in to actually work with me and the team yeah and then then I thought you were reasonably chilled but now that's yeah. a whole new level so um, Graham Plant the memory jogger uh, uh, a wise person someone to uh, that's actually helped me and inspired me I learned as much from you as you did from me so no, it's been mutual uh, thank you for doing Leadership of Fools Pleasure. And um, we'll, uh, we'll keep talking. Absolutely. All right. Thanks.